Hey guys, what's up? It's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassanac Files. And today we're going to be talking season two, episode four, La Dame Blanche. But before we get to that, a couple of housekeeping details. I want to remind you guys that you can find the Sassanac Files on all sorts of platforms, including CastBox, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and most recently, Amazon Music. If you haven't checked out the Sassanac Files blog yet, make sure you head on over to see what's new over there. I recently just posted a blog about Parisian inspiration, which is basically just touching base with some of the characters in season two that were based off of real life individuals, who they were and what they accomplished. So interesting if you like history. Also, if you have not had a chance to follow us on social media yet, make sure you head on over and like on Facebook and follow on Instagram for all the latest and greatest Sassanac Files news, along with anything that is up with the cast and creators of Outlander. I like to compile everything from Instagram and Facebook so that you guys can just go to one source and see it. I don't have a Twitter, um, maybe sometime... In the future, I will delve into the world of Twitter, but but for now, it's just Facebook and Instagram, so head on over and check it out. And without further ado, let's get into 204. 204 opens up with Jamie and Claire at Versailles, and they're actually talking about babies' names, which is great to see because for the majority of the first part of season two... It's like the pregnancy doesn't even exist. Like, there's not a touch of morning sickness. You don't see Claire's baby bump because of those huge dresses she's wearing. So it was really kind of refreshing to get this little debate between Claire and Jamie about, if it's a boy, what are they going to name it? A little touch of humor (laughs) when Claire is like, I think I want to name him Lambert. And Jamie's like, what? That's too English. And he's like, how about Dalhousie? And she's like, it sounds like a sneeze. (laughs) So it's really cute. And then it kind of quickly dissolves into chaos because the Comte Saint-Germain tries to poison Claire, which I'm kind of of two minds about the Comte because he gives it his fair try at trying to make Jamie and Claire's life miserable, but we have such great villains in the Outlander universe that I just, he just doesn't get up there for me. He's not on the same level as like a Blackjack or a Stephen Bonnet, which if you haven't watched later seasons, you won't know who Stephen Bonnet is yet, but he's, he's a doozy. So there's that. But the poisoning at Versailles leads into this great conversation for Jamie and Claire, wherein Claire finally reveals to Jamie after three episodes that Blackjack is still alive. And she's really hesitant to do it because, as I've touched on in previous episodes, she's scared to death of what Jamie's reaction is going to be. And the last thing she wants is for him to get himself killed, trying to exact his revenge. So... They cut this scene in the most brilliant way because while Claire is talking to Jamie, they don't move off of Claire's face. Like, we're just dying to see Jamie's reaction as viewers. 
and they just stay on Claire until she's completely done telling the story, and then they pan over, and there's a split second on Sam's face where you're not really sure if Jamie's going to be angry or upset or what what is that look and then he breaks into the smile and he's like this is great news <laughs> and we're like what no it's not it's not good news <laughs> like blackjack is supposed to be dead what is wrong with you <laughs> and claire is equally confused okay <laughs> nobody anticipated this reaction is what she tells him and it's true and he kind of explains it to her he's like don't you see this is this has been what's bothering me for months that he died and i missed it it's really been bothering jamie and i don't think that claire knew that was the source of jamie's inner turmoil i think a lot of it yeah is the mental scarring for what has happened but there was this big piece of jamie that really just wanted the satisfaction of seeing blackjack die to see him go through the amount of pain and agony and suffering that he made Jamie endure, that's what Jamie wants. And so now he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. He has hope again, finally, that maybe one day he will get to see Black Jack Randall suffer. So that's kind of lifted this weight off of Jamie's shoulders, which none of us were expecting. So I thought it was really great to see that. And then to make matters even better the next morning Murta's like oh Jamie's in a cheery mood and Claire's like yeah I told him Blackjack Randall was alive I don't know what you were so worried about and walks off like it was totally Murta's idea to keep the whole damn thing from Jamie like, <laughs> like oh my god Claire come on we all know you really didn't want to tell him what was up okay it wasn't all Murta in this situation because she had the opportunity to tell him at the end of 203 when he's like, what is it, Sassanac? And she's just like, I just love seeing you so happy. I'm like, oh, God. Like, yeah, it was totally all Myrta's idea, guys, that she wasn't honest with Jamie. But that's a different story. Anyway, we move on to Master Raymond's apothecary, wherein she's like kind of pissed she's like really you sold the comps bitter cascara like are you serious right now i thought we were friends raymond i thought we were friends and he's like telling her i swear i didn't know it was for you he doesn't even really recollect selling it directly to anybody in contact with the comp any of his servants or anything so if he got the bitter cascara from Raymond, it was through different means, which I really don't think that Raymond would have sold the Comte anything that would have harmed anyone, let alone Claire. But it was kind of interesting to see that. And that leads into this great scene between the two of them, which pause on that because this costume that Claire is wearing during this entire encounter is probably one of my favorite Paris outfits. So the navy blue satin dress first is just gorgeous, but then you add this jacket on top of it that is like this satin or silk. It has got this fuchsia embroidery in it. Oh my God, I love it. With the hood, it's just fantastic. It's one of my favorite costumes. So just to get off on that tangent for a little bit, but I really do love that outfit. 
anyway, we see Raymond and Claire in this little back room because we find out that the gendarme is watching him, which is kind of interesting to know. I'm glad they threw this in here because... King Louis is, like, not friendly with anything relatively heretical. So, magic, potions, spells, what have you, all of that is something that Louis and his lackeys are very conscious of, and they don't support it. So, the fact that the gendarme is watching Master Raymond is kind of one of the, again, one of those little seeds that the writers and creators are putting in for later in the season which you don't necessarily notice until you're re-watching it so it's good to to see that whenever they're talking master raymond has this moment where claire's looking at the multitude of artifacts that Raymond has put together. There's all kinds of skulls and ancient things. And he says, I'm fascinated by things not of this time. And he's just giving Claire this look like he knows kind of maybe is the look that he's giving. Like he just has this vibe off of her, which like I said, Master Raymond is a very interesting character and there's more of him revealed in short stories that Diana has written. It's called The Space Between. So there's more revealed about Raymond, and I won't get into that. But suffice it to say that I think he has a pretty good idea that Claire is one of those things he's fascinated in because it's not of this time. He gives Claire this necklace that turns black in the presence of poison basically as a peace offering saying sorry you were made violently ill by my bitter cascara here's this necklace so that next time something happens you will know before you take a drink of that wine which was really nice of him he didn't have to do that and it's free of charge so you know this is further building of their friendship which i really like but the big kicker out of this scene at Raymond's Apothecary is Claire says she's worried about a friend. And she says, I quote, I believe his future is in doubt, <laughs> which is a clever way of putting, I'm not really sure if he's going to exist anymore. <laughs> so he was like, well, the bones will tell us. And so he's doing this thing that the Zulu do in Africa, which is basically just fortune telling based on you throwing these bones on a animal hide and the way that the bones fall supposedly interprets things about the future, depending on what your question is. So it's kind of like tarot cards or fortune telling, what have you. It's another version of that from a different culture. So... She casts the bones upon the zebra hide and he says, you need not worry. You'll see him again. And everybody watching, including Claire, is like, um, excuse me? (laughs) 
what did you just say? I will see him again. Um, and of course, this, this is the clever thing about how they formatted this entire season is that we already know that Claire's going to see Frank again because that's how this season opened up, but we don't know any of the details and um, we don't know why and we don't know how she just appeared back in the 1940s. And so it's a question that, yes, we already know the answer to, but we still don't know the means. So it's equally frustrating for people watching. But this is completely new news to Claire because obviously she doesn't know that part of the future that she's going to end up going back in time and mending fences with Frank. So that is one part of the foreshadowing in this episode. From there, we go to Louise's for tea. And there's another portion of foreshadowing. Louise is in a pickle because she has a lover and she now finds herself pregnant with that lover's child. It's not necessarily the lover part of it that is the crux of this issue. It was very widely accepted that French aristocracy on both sides, so men and women, had affairs with other men and women. And that wasn't anything that was looked down upon in French society. It's just whatever. They had open marriages, let's put it that way. But it was based on this understanding between the husband and the wife that there wouldn't be any issue from these little affairs. That's where they drew the line. So the fact that Louise is now pregnant with her lover's child, that's the issue. So Louise has kind of made up her mind that she wants to have an abortion and she's asked Claire to help her do that. Which Claire being Claire is advocating for Louise keeping the child. Is there any way that you can convince Jules that the baby is his? And Louise is like, you mean sleep with my husband? <laughs> I just found that so hilarious. She's like, oh, the horror of actually sleeping with my husband. And then she's like, but my lover would be furious. And Claire just looks at her like, well, your lover isn't the one that's pregnant. Now, is he, Louise? Girl, you gotta do what you gotta do. This is a matter of you being banished to a convent or being able to raise your child with your husband. Which would you prefer? <laughs> yeah, so I think Claire kind of straightens out Louise and um, it ends up having far-reaching consequences that Claire could not have imagined. But... There's this great line that Louise has wherein she says, but how will I raise the child with a man who is not the father? She's really distraught at this idea and Claire says, you know, I don't really think it matters who its father is so much as that the child is raised with love. This just kind of rings all the bells because... This is exactly what ends up happening with Claire and Jamie's child. It is not raised with its biological father, but it's raised in a family with a father that loves it. So it's just kind of all of these echoes coming back in this episode. And you don't notice it until a second watch, but it's really good that Claire's already being faced with all of these issues 
but she doesn't realize that her reaction and what she's saying and the advice she's giving to other people is actually going to be advice that she has to take herself. It's really cool. So the far-reaching consequences of this illegitimate child is that its father is Prince Charlie. So Princess Louise is sleeping with Charles Edward Stewart and is now pregnant by him. And this ends up coming to light when Charlie shows up at Jamie and Claire's unannounced by walking across the roofs from Louise's house to Jamie's house and knocking on their bedroom window. (laughs) And he's damn lucky that Jamie didn't kill him. Like, it was so close. The dark part of me is just like, man, that would have solved a lot of problems if Jamie had accidentally killed Prince Charlie as an intruder. Yeah, that would have ended it right then and there, wouldn't it? (laughs) They kind of, Jamie and Claire kind of put two and two together because she's tending to Charlie's injured hand. The injury is a monkey bite. And he said, oh, yeah, it's my lover's. It only lets her pet it. And so everybody's like, oh, crap. So that's who this is. And Jamie and Claire manipulate this situation to their advantage because they're having this dinner with Sandringham and all these influential people and Charlie's going to be there. So now they're inviting Louise as well to unceremoniously reveal the pregnancy and that Jules, Louise's husband, is accepting this child as his own, thinking that this is going to make Charlie come unhinged and that Sandringham is going to see that Charlie is a nutter and decide not to back him and to withdraw the money that he's promised. It's very conniving of Jamie and Claire, and we're seeing this other side of them, and they're doing it all for the prevention of the Jacobite Rebellion, but Jamie and Claire have this very interesting conversation where they're debating whether or not they're bad people for doing this. And Jamie says... The way I think of it is we're doing a bad thing, but we're doing it for a good reason. And Claire's like, isn't that what all bad people say? (laughs) Like, isn't that how they sleep at night, you know, to convince themselves that they're doing it for a good reason? And she's right. It's morally ambiguous, this thing they're doing. They're hurting Charlie over and over again to prevent the loss of lives. So it's basically the scale, which weighs more the lives of the thousands of people that are going to die along the way for a doomed cause or Charlie finding out that his lover is pregnant and that she's raising this child with her husband and oops oh I wasn't supposed to say anything (laughs) they're using his misery as means to an end and I think what's separates Jamie and Claire from being bad people is that they feel guilt over it. It's not necessarily something that they just do as means to an end and that's that. So be it. Like they have a moment where they hesitate about it and it affects their conscience and that's what separates them from a villain. But it's great that they have this conversation It really broadens their characters and gives them new depth that they're having to analyze their own actions and question question whether it's worth it. 
they're having to do a lot of things that are not not okay and i just think that this episode makes that even more apparent so let's talk about jamie and claire's fight because i feel like that is probably the meat of this episode all the tension that jamie and claire have been feeling comes to a head so there's this relief and joy over the fact that blackjack is alive and is lifts this weight off of Jamie's shoulder. He feels like he can start to get himself back. And he's finding that he's able to feel aroused. And he's like, yes, maybe I can actually sleep with my wife. The kicker part of this is, is that he's in the brothel when this happens. And I don't know what the details of this are. And I'm not sure I want to. interesting nonetheless how he got in that situation to begin with i can totally see where claire is coming from and poor jamie like he comes home all excited he's like you won't have to wait long tonight sassanac like it's been months of celibacy between these two and you throw that into a relationship that is normally very very physical that's gotta have its strains so Jamie's like, all right, let's get over this hump. No pun intended. (laughs) Claire's excited. You know, Lord knows she's been trying. She had a Brazilian wax and had her legs waxed to try to get Jamie past this. And now they're finally able to move on. And Jamie gets ready to take his shirt off. And she's like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Um, yeah, some chick bit his thighs. Very, very close to his private area. And she's like, you don't just... That doesn't just happen, okay? He says, I assure you, there's a reasonable explanation. And she's like, uh, there better be. <laughs> like, um, yes, tell me why there are bite marks on your thighs. Is it that brunette whore Fergus is always talking about? Oh, and Jamie just keeps digging the hole deeper. Like, he's trying to explain, and no matter what he says, <laughs> it just sounds worse and worse. She's like, so what you're saying is while you've barely touched me in months, tonight you were driven mad with passion for some whore. And he's like, yes. And then he's like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. (laughs) I'm like, oh, God, it's hilarious. Really, the argument is, but it gets serious very quickly because... You know, he's like, well, you know, I've been struggling with this. And she's like, oh, you've been struggling? You've been struggling. And she's like, do you know what I've been struggling with? And here we see, like, I've been carrying your child and dealing with all of that and what my body's been going through. And you don't even seem to care. You can tell he feels bad about it. But at the same time, like, Claire is kind of avoiding the whole point of it all which is that he's been struggling with everything that happened with Wentworth and everything politically that they're dealing with. So they both have kind of felt like they've been alone in all of this. And this is just it all coming to a head because, you know, she's like, if you've been struggling, like, well, just tell me what you've been struggling with. You won't talk to me. How am I supposed to know? So this is when it all comes out. And... There's several great lines in this scene, and the dialogue of 
the whole hiding under a blade of grass conversation. That comes from Outlander, the first book, after Jamie is rescued from Wentworth. But they didn't have the right place for it in To Ransom a Man's Soul, the season one finale. So they moved it here. And I really, really applaud them putting it here because it just makes this argument so much more impactful because Jamie's been hiding all of this from Claire. He's been keeping it balled up inside himself and finally he's able to tell her but it's this bittersweet reveal you know because like yes he's finally honest with Claire but the darkness that he's been hiding that he feels naked and alone his fortress has been blown to pieces there's nowhere for him to hide inside himself he's just been struggling with that this entire time and it's really awful that he felt he couldn't even talk to Claire about it his person but yeah this kind of all gets thrown into the light forcefully but it's needed so from here they can move on and you know claire kind of realizes when jamie's like i'm gonna sleep elsewhere tonight you can see she's kind of coming down off of her high like she's realizing that what she said in anger is it was too much and it was too harsh but she's like still standing on her high horse she like holds her chin up and hugs her belly and she's like, I'm not apologizing, but you can tell she really feels bad about it. We all have those proud moments, you know, where you're like, well, I've been going through a lot too. I had a right to be upset, but you're like, okay, maybe not as much of a right to be upset as I thought I did. So the next scene, we see her go to the day bed where Jamie is sleeping and they make up and they have the one and only love scene in this entire season. And for season one to be so front-loaded with sex, to only have one sex scene in this entire season is kind of whiplash, but it is a beautiful scene. The blue light, it's just a great contrast. You have the them in blue and then everything else is black, so all you see is them, and it's just gorgeous the way that they shot this. Beautiful dialogue. The makeup scene is just really great. Yeah, that's really all I have to say about it. It's just beautiful, guys. And I was so happy that they finally, finally reconsummated their relationship. Like, that's just huge for Jamie and Claire. Like I said before, the physicality of their relationship is so important. Physical affection is paramount to both of them. So the fact that they can finally reconnect, you just feel like something's clicking into place. It's kind of like the final hurdle for Jamie to get past what happened at Wentworth. Like, he's not going to forget it, but now they can completely move forward. So um, I really appreciated this scene. So the last thing that I want to talk about for this episode is the dinner party. And I don't want you to think that I'm skipping on things because I'm not. I'm just going to branch off of the dinner party because a lot of other things happened, but it all happens within the realm of dinner and the people that are at dinner. True to form, we see Charlie unravel at the sight of Louise and her husband and then the news that they are expecting a child just pretty much unhinges Charlie, which 
true to form, you know? So Sandringham's like, okay, I'm not really sure if I want to back this loon. So we have that, and Jamie and Claire's plan succeeded in that light. The major part of this scene is it's kind of cutting back and forth between the dinner party and Mary and Alex upstairs because on their way home from the hospital, Claire and Mary and Myrta were attacked and Mary was raped. So it was really brutal. And the only thing that saved them was that when they pulled Claire's hood back, they thought she was La Dame Blanche, which is a mythical character in France who if you do something immoral or touch her in unholy embrace, she basically will doom your soul to hell. Yeah, so they're afraid of that and they're like, save yourselves! And that's the only thing I really think that kept Mary and Claire alive. So that was a really awful experience and, you know, poor Mary and Myrta feels immense guilt over that over the course of the next couple of episodes. Which, I mean, it wasn't his fault. He was severely outmanned. There were like four or five guys and just Myrta, a pregnant woman and a tiny little English girl, you know? Like, what were they going to do? So it was a really unfortunate situation. And then when they get back to the house, Alex Randall is there because he's the Duke's secretary But Mary has just told Claire on their way home that she's actually involved with Alex and that they're in love with each other. And you really feel for this poor couple. They're just doomed from the outset because Mary is Mary is in an arranged marriage to a Viscount and Alex is pretty much like he has no money to his name like there's no way that Mary's family is ever going to accept him and Mary being together and he's very sickly at that so it's not ever going to happen and it's really tragic because they really do care for each other so Alex is looking after Mary but Mary has had poppy syrup which is an opiate and it gives her really bad hallucinations and she thinks that Alex is her attacker when she wakes up so she's running from him and he's trying to keep her from the dinner party and she screams and the entire dinner party results in a brawl. I mean there's a lot of misunderstanding going on because obviously nobody knows what happened on the street They come in to see Alex holding Mary down, thinking that he's trying to rape her, but in reality, he's trying to keep her from hurting herself or hurting anybody else because she's in an opium dream and she doesn't know really what's happening. And then, of course, Jamie is trying to kind of keep the peace and then he gets hit and he's like, okay, that's enough. And so he's trying to keep everybody separate and obviously not kill anybody and he doesn't want Myrta to kill anybody either and this is where this brawl scene like this is the only thing in the entire episode that I didn't really care for because I felt like the fight choreography in this episode was terrible (laughs) honestly like I I don't know whether they were trying to be funny with how it was choreographed or what but 
the idea of using the curtain rope as a clothesline and like whipping it around and chucking somebody and it makes them fall over. Are you kidding me? It just felt really cliche. And every time I watch it, it just kind of throws me out of the moment, honestly. Yes, it makes sense that it went into this brawl because Mary's uncle and her intended husband are there and they're like fighting for her honor. And it makes sense that Jamie would defend Alex because Alex didn't do anything wrong. And that's just the kind of person that Jamie is and Murta comes to his defense. So yes, it makes sense that this fight happens, but how it was choreographed was just not great. Not great. But over the course of this fight, we see, we see Sandringham, who's like, uh, when I was so looking forward to dessert, but he kind of just slips out the back because he doesn't want to be involved with what happens next. And Charlie is like, I don't want to leave my friend James to deal with these barbarians, you know? And the comp's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it, which Charlie doesn't know any better. He doesn't know the comp. But we know when the comp says that, it's like, oh, shit. So the gendarme gets called and a bad situation goes to worse. And we see the beginning of that in the next episode. But yeah, this just really was not the social gathering that Jamie and Claire were hoping to have. So that sucks. But yeah, I mean, the dinner party was going great up until that point. So I think it it did reach Jamie and Claire's goal in a lot of ways because they were hoping to have a gathering where the Sandringham could test the measure of Prince Charlie and then the Comte got involved and that really shook Claire because she's convinced that the Comte is the reason that her and Mary got attacked and you can see it in the scene right before the dinner party when Claire shows up where she's just like looking in the mirror and she takes a deep breath she's like okay it's going to be okay. Like, just calm down. And then the poor woman ends up having to sit next to this guy for the entire dinner. I just can't imagine. I felt really bad for Claire. And Jamie offered to cancel the whole thing. But she's like, no, this is way too important. Like, we can't cancel this. You know that. I can really just imagine how awful Claire felt. But there was this great <laughs> line. Another instance of foreshadowing which is when Jamie says, you're sure Sandraman had something to do with this? And he's like, what I wouldn't give to go down there and cut his head off right now. And Claire says, no one is getting their head cut off tonight. And uh, that is foreshadowing. And if you have not watched further into season two, I will not ruin it for you. But I just thought that that was... A very good line for what ends up happening. So, yay, foreshadowing. One thing that I did notice, I've kind of been looking for these things as I've been rewatching because I know that they try to put them in, but I haven't really ever noticed. So, in the book, Jamie has this shrugging motion he does when he's nervous or uncomfortable, like his shirt is too tight, is how it's described. And I heard in an interview that like Sam tries to put these little things in where he can as part of Jamie's character, but they're so subtle that you don't really notice. And I noticed it in this episode. I think it's when Sandringham is introducing Alex Randall and he's like, oh, but you know, his brother, Jack, and Jamie does this odd shrugging motion. 
but I really noticed it and I was like, oh, I saw it. I didn't know if you guys noticed it or not, but if you're a book reader, that's a nice little nod to the book readers. I think that about wraps the episode analysis. For performance of the episode, I did something a little different this time because I really wanted to recognize the performance of two of the actors that play supporting roles. So I thought Stanley Weber, who plays the Comte, I thought he did a really good job being like super menacing this episode. The looks that he's giving Jamie and Claire in Versailles and then just his performance during the whole dinner scene and brawl afterward. He's got this way of being very elegant with his motions and his words and stuff, but there's this just evil undercurrent to him that makes you really not like him. So I felt like Stanley Weber does a great job with that. And then Claire Simone as princess louise i felt like she did a really good job this episode as well because she's got a lot of comic relief but there was also the scene where she's debating having an abortion i felt like she did a really good job in that one so yeah i wanted to take the moment to talk about two of the supporting actors roles because i felt like they both did a really good job in this episode as for quote of the episode In the love scene between Jamie and Claire, when Claire says, come find me, Jamie, find us. I really, really, really love that line, guys, because Jamie has just got done telling her that he's felt lost and alone with no shelter. And Claire is saying, okay, if your fortress has been blown apart, come and find me and take shelter in mine. And I really love that. It's so powerful. It's like, if you feel like you're not strong enough to stand on your own, then come lean on me. It's beautiful because of what it stands for, but it's also kind of sad in the same respect that like she's been there all along for him and she's been willing to be that, but he felt like he couldn't open up enough to ask for it. So I really love that scene and then the resulting scene from it where he says, you know how I told you I was lost? Well, I think that perhaps you've built me a lean-to and a roof to keep out the rain. And that's when you know they're going to be okay. And I really do love all the dialogue in that scene. It was just gorgeous, beautiful, brings tears to my eyes. So I had to mention it under my quote of the episode section. All right, guys. Well, I think that about wraps up this episode of The Sassnack Files. As always, if you have any comments or questions about this episode or any previous episodes of The Sassnack Files, please make sure to send an email to thesassnackfiles at gmail.com or leave a comment on the episode thread where you have a question or a comment and you will have a chance to have your thoughts heard on the next episode of The Sassanac Files. Make sure to join me next week where I'm going to be talking 205, Untimely Resurrection, and this one's a doozy, guys, so don't miss it. Until then, stay safe out there, and I will chat at you later. Have a good one.